The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 82. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. This week we begin our course through Act 3, Scene 2, another of this play's iconic scenes. Shakespeare has set us up for something special. In Act 2, Scene 2, he gave us a spectacular range of references to theatre, acting, styles of acting, contemporary theatre, politics, and a great many other ideas. We've just finished the magnificent but very challenging scene of Hamlet's own performance of Madness against Ophelia, overseen by Claudius and Polonius, which ended with that ominous pronouncement from the king that madness in great ones must not unwatched go. Even at this point of intrigue, we still have words we can associate with watching, observing and performing. Our new scene begins with Hamlet's oft-quoted advice to the players. Fascinatingly, Shakespeare's stage is something like a rehearsal here, Instead of presenting us with their performance alone, he gives us a sneak peek backstage as they get ready. And while the actors are preparing, Hamlet has taken it upon himself to do some directing, giving them notes on how he'd like them to perform. Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. But if you mouth it as many of your players do, I had as lief the town crier spoke my lines. Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand thus, but use all gently, for in the very torrent, tempest, and, as I may say, the whirlwind of passion, you must acquire and beget a temperance that may give it smoothness. Oh, it offends me to the soul to hear a robustious, periwig-pated fellow tear a passion to tatters, to very rags, to split the ears of the groundlings, who, for the most part, are capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise. I would have such a fellow whipped for o'erdoing termagant. It out-herods Herod. Pray you, avoid it. It is tempting to consider these instructions a glimpse into Shakespeare's own taste for acting. Our hero never wrote anything like an autobiography, or a manual for acting or writing, never mind directing, so we have to sort of assume that it might be the kind of thing that he liked. For the most part, Hamlet's speech constitutes very practical advice, and it's a sobering read for any performer. Hamlet begins with specific instructions as to how he'd like them to speak. As the saying goes, he who pays the piper calls the tune, and to complicate matters further, remember Hamlet has inserted a new speech into the play, so while he can appear a bit of a backseat driver, he's not entirely out of line. Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. But if you mouth it, as many of your players do, I had as lief the town crier spoke my lines. Evidently, Hamlet has already performed the speech himself and wants the actors to copy him, speaking it trippingly on the tongue. Technically, there's no indication of fast or slow within this, but Shakespeare elsewhere uses the word trippingly to refer to people dancing. Hamlet is asking for brisk, clear speech. This line and the little reference in the prologue to Romeo and Juliet about the two hours traffic of our stage, are at the heart of many arguments for a fast mode of delivery for Shakespeare's language. We can never really know how fast his actors spoke, alas, but for reference, the average nowadays appears to have settled at something like a thousand lines per hour, which means that Hamlet, uncut, could take about four hours to get through, and for the record, Romeo and Juliet usually takes about three. Hamlet is hoping for clear delivery of his inserted lines, because he obviously wants to be sure Claudius hears them, but he doesn't want them overdone either. 
If they know this, or declaim it, as so many players do, he says, I had as lief the town crier spoke my lines. The town crier is the kind of recognisable medieval public figure who would ring a bell and shout, hear ye, hear ye, with important news or information. This was a major public service for a population who could not read in a world hundreds of years even before newspapers. These figures were not known for their acting ability, of course, and Hamlet would rather have the town crier shout the lines of his new play than have an actor perform them badly. If you've been a regular listener to the podcast, you might remember that back in Act 2, Scene 2, Hamlet explains to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that he knows a hawk from a handsaw, and I suggested that amid the references woven into this image, there might be a nod to different kinds of actors, the hawks perhaps being the child actors whose popularity Shakespeare was discussing, and a handsaw may be an actor of the older guard, and maybe not a very good one, prone to over-gesticulation or sawing with his hand. My reason for thinking this comes from this segment in Act 3, Scene 2, where Hamlet is starting to enjoy giving these instructions, and he says, Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand thus, but use all gently. For in the very torrent, tempest, and as I may say, the whirlwind of passion, you must acquire and beget a temperance that may give it smoothness. Now, there's nothing worse than an amateur know-it-all trying to tell a professional how to do their job. Even Hamlet is a little guilty of this here, and performances sometimes allow the actors a little eye-roll at Hamlet's acting advice. That said, the advice is pretty good. The sawing of the air with the hand, which Hamlet presumably performs, can be amusing, but the second half is an excellent insight into the paradox of presenting emotion on stage. What Hamlet, and maybe Shakespeare, is saying is that even in the most raging, passionate, emotional scenes, the actor has to stay in control. They must be at the eye of the storm, nay, they must manage the storm, acquiring and begetting a temperance, or control, that gives it smoothness. The best example I can think of is what I've observed working with opera singers, who have to act, but also have to keep physiologically relaxed and focused so that they can sing their lines. Singing is a very physical activity. If they're too emotionally invested or get carried away, it becomes very difficult to sing, because you can't really sing and cry at the same time. So they have to find ways of presenting the torrents and tempests of passion, but in the whirlwind they also have to manage that temperance that may give it smoothness. Hamlet is clearly warming to his theme here, and now starts offering criticism to go with his acting advice. Oh, it offends me to the soul to hear a robustious, periwig-pated fellow tear a passion to tatters, to very rags, to split the ears of the groundlings, who, for the most part, are capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise. Hamlet's having fun here. You can imagine him getting quite robustious here himself. This is a word Shakespeare made up. He uses it only here and in Henry V, which was written at more or less the same time. A periwig-pated fellow is someone wearing a wig. While they would soon become fashionable all over Europe for men and women, in Shakespeare's day they would have been more the preserve of actors on the stage. Hamlet laments the idea of actors who tear a passion to rags with their overblown, noisy acting, which, he says, splits the ears of the people gathered in the standing room area in front of the stage, presumably because they're too close to the noise. They are known as the groundlings, and indeed the word has come back into common parlance thanks to the reconstructed globe in London. Hamlet rather snobbishly writes them off as capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise, 
In other words, that's all they enjoy. Spectacle and shouting. The dumb show is important. It had been a feature of Elizabethan theatre in the period before Shakespeare started writing, and Shakespeare includes one in Hamlet in order to make the player's performance feel a little bit more old-fashioned. A dumb show was a kind of interlude in which actors mimed elements of the story. They had all but fallen out of fashion by the time Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, but the play seems to have brought about a resurgence, and thereafter they start to appear in several Jacobean tragedies after Hamlet. Shakespeare himself included a few more in his play Pericles several years later. The Groundlings are only capable of appreciating dumb shows and noisy acting, and Hamlet wants to punish overblown actors who pander to their taste. I would have such a fellow whipped for o'erdoing termagant. It out-herods, Herod, pray you, avoid it. A termagant has become a word for an overbearing or sharp-tongued woman, rather like Volumnia, the character in Shakespeare's play Coriolanus, but in fact it was the name of an entirely made-up figure. In the midst of the Dark Ages, Termagant was invented as a violent deity believed to have been worshipped by Muslims. It is an absolute piece of nonsense, but the figure appeared as a character in medieval plays, invariably given to boisterous, noisy performances. Likewise, Herod, the king of Judea, who was so fond of prophecies and so feared the birth of the Messiah that he slaughtered all of the male children that might have posed a threat. Herod was another popular character in mystery and morality plays, since he represented such a strong baddie. Hamlet's acting notes here both refer to pantomime-worthy villains, but any actor guilty of overdoing termagant, already a caricature, or who might out-Herod Herod, would surely be whipped if Hamlet had his way. So his advice to the players? Pretty simple. Pray you, avoid it. Very graciously, the first player accepts this long list of advice with no comment or rebuttal. He knows on which side his bread is buttered, and he says, I warrant your honour. Hamlet has a good deal more to say about acting, but I'll hold off with the second half of his lecture until the next episode. Until then, feel free to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for notes on this episode and a few more new features, and be sure to tune in next week for more advice for any budding actors out there. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.